Star jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. We should be able to hear the magnetic resonance field. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening. Whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in, indeed welcome to the event horizon where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time as we journey into science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. I am your host, Gene Turnbow, uh, the usual co-host and executive producer for Krypton Radio Susan Fox is not with us this evening, but we do have special guests, Ben Patton, Marissa Mizell, Chris Dorman, and Dino Andrade, the creators of a new science fiction comedy radio drama called Jump Leads. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hello. Howdy. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. It's uh, it's actually my my pleasure. I I have read the original webcomic Jump Leads, and I mean I have read all of it, not just a few pages. I got online and I started turning pages, and it was just it was brilliant from start to finish. Oh, thank you. And I read. Hey, Ben, you're not the only one. This, there's at least two of us who've read the whole thing cover to cover. And I, I've fifty percent people are not involved in this creation. I could not stop turning pages. It was delightful. And then you've got these two characters who are jump leads, who are uh, reality police. Uh, one of them is Meany, and the other one is Llewellyn. And I hope yes. I've pronounced that right. Uh, oh, you got it! Nailed it. And um, they are—they're supposed to be going for their uh, their training day. Uh, to be uh, reality police, to become jump leads. And they get assigned to this captain who really has not quite maintained his ship properly or following protocols correctly, and he winds up getting cacked on page six. And they get back in the ship and they find out that it's broken and they can't get back. And that's yes, where uh, things it, kick it's, off. Uh, yeah, it's. I mean, the, the way that I usually pitch it to people is it's... Um, it's Doctor Who meets Sliders by way of Red Dwarf. So it's like 66% British sci-fi uh, with a, a smattering of uh, interdimensional nonsense thrown in for good measure. We're just a sous-son of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy sprinkled on top and then garnished with parsley. And I see the elements of all those. Huh? Do you know? I did say sous-son, yes. Sous-son. You did say that. Wow. I love that I am so impressed. This is why this guy's the writer-creator. <laughs> we we get to say words like that. That's I'm impressed. So, um, Ben, how long ago did you start the Jump Leads project, and what got you started in that in the first place? Well, this is, uh, this Jump is... Leads 
but sorry, before I continue, is my vo- is my level okay? Because yeah. the microphone has just has moved. Hang no, on you're one good. Second. You're good. There we go. Yeah, That's you're better. good. Uh, well, uh, Jump Leads originally began as a web comic. Um, I started coming up with a kind of rough outline for the concept in like late 2006. Um, as I was preparing to immigrate from England to the United States, I now you know live and work in Los Angeles. Well, I say live and work, mostly live. Um, and uh, the comic launched uh, about I think a week after I had moved to Los Angeles. Once I'd got here, and then the comic itself started going about one or two pages a week um, from July. Mm-hmm. And we we the comic ran from 2007 to 2013. Um, I uh, was the head writer. I actually had a team of three or four other writers, uh, friends of mine, uh, predominantly based in the UK, who contributed stories um, and concepts to the comic. Uh, and I just mm-hmm. kind of shepherded everything. And uh, yeah, I mean, we, we the comic uh, kind of gained uh, a steady audience. There was, a, I think, at our height, we had oh gosh, I think we were we were pushing like uh, eighty to ninety thousand unique visitors. Uh, a week, which I, I oh you know, I was really, gosh. really happy with, really impressed with. Yeah, the comic was, uh, for a while, I, I'd say that the height was like 2009, which is when we uh, also released the first print volume, which contained the first two stories from the from the webcomic. Mm-hmm. Um, I and, saw that yeah, on I, Amazon. I, it's, it's out of print, isn't it? Uh, I, I do think it's out of print. It was, it was, uh, the first print run was published by, uh, actually, uh, by Soul Geek Publishing, by, by mm. uh, the, the short-lived publishing arm of, uh, uh, of Soul Geek, which is managed by by uh, Dino over here, hmm. um, but uh, yep. the the second print run, which was actually in black and white, which I wasn't overly happy with, was actually published by uh, um, Pendrake Publishing, which was uh, owned and operated by uh, by my late father. Mm-hmm. So there's always been a lot of support from the from my friends and family for this project, and everyone has always uh, been very uh, enthusiastic about. How the comic was, how the comic was progressing, and uh, when it started. Our artist, a wonderful man by the name of Eugene Art, who lives in uh, in Russia, uh, unfortunately, um, as a direct result of the ex- amount of exposure he was getting from doing the web comic, uh, get, started getting a lot of uh, freelance artwork, and unfortunately, didn't have the time to devote to the comic anymore. So we kind of cannibalized ourselves in that way, in that you know, <laughs> the popularity. Yeah, of the comic. I saw that. Uh, uh, you know, the sudden so change. Our artist, yeah. The sudden which, change in which uh, anyone issue who's five. actually seen the comic knows is absolutely deserved. The art in that comic is oh, brilliant, and astounding. we cannot be surprised at all that that he got uh, got swept away. I, I, I think you gave the man a career, Ben. You ought to be proud of that. I, I'm I'm pretty happy with that. I'm I'm really uh, I'm really pleased with the fact that. Uh, he was able to find so much work as, as a result of doing the comic, but it rather left us in the lurch. So uh, originally we... <laughs> Where is that? So, I mean, we, we found ways around. Um, for a while, we had someone else doing the coloring for the pages. My friend Chris Carter, who mm-hmm. lives in Wales and who's done coloring for IDW, he worked on Transformers, he worked on G. Joe, he worked on some of IDW's early Doctor Who stuff. He did the coloring for the comic uh, for a while. And then when, when Eugene told me that he just didn't have time anymore... Uh, a, my, a friend of mine who goes by the online handle of Mr. Philby uh, stepped in and helped us finish out uh, what ended up being the last story uh, of the mm-hmm. comic. And it took us a while to finish that last story because of his schedule. But we're you know, very happy to have been able to finish the comic. And it wasn't where we wanted to end it. We wanted to tell more stories. And I always thought at some point I would come back to Jump Lead and come back to those characters and, and that setting. And that has invariably led to uh, to the creation of the uh, the 
video play series. Mm-hmm. And it's um, – I've listened to the first episode and if you are listening to this and you had heard about it from the Krypton Radio website, you have already had the opportunity to hear the episode because we posted it right there in the announcement article. And um, it's – All right. Thank you, sir. <laughs> and it is um, – it was kind of a surprise to hear Marissa's voice as Meanie. And I thought, oh my gosh, what a brilliant bit of stunt casting. Stunt, well, I wouldn't actually refer to it as uh, a stunt casting. I would refer to it <laughs> as uh, just kind of making making jump leads more accessible for people who don't necessarily have a Y chromosome. When I created <laughs> um, when I created yes. when, I, when I created jump leads, I was I, I first came up with a concept. I was twenty years old. Uh, I was wearing my influences on my sleeve. I mean, it's very the dynamic between Mimi and Llewellyn in the comic is very clearly influenced by the dynamic that uh, Rimmer and Lister have uh, in Red Dwarf, which if you haven't seen it before, mm, and oh, if, you, if you're listening to Clip from Radio, mm-hmm. why haven't you seen it before? Yeah, you're a crazy person. Go onto Hulu and watch it immediately. But um, it's you know the dynamic between them is very kind of uh, feisty, and they're very they're very much uh, kind of at each other's throats. And I kind of the, the way that they are in the comic, particularly in that first in the first couple of episodes. Uh, mirrors that greatly, but for that reason, because I was young and uh, in, in, ill-experienced in the ways of the world, I made them both male. And it's it's 2015 now, and there are no shortage of male science fiction heroes. My thinking with um, with the audios was, I, I you know, I don't want to just add two more guys to the uh, to the the, the ever expanding list of of science fiction characters. There needs to be more female characters. I had I had long conversations with a lot of friends uh, about whether I should change Meanie or Llewellyn or both uh, to to women. And uh, Meanie in particular seemed to excite a lot of my uh, a lot of my creative friends who also mm-hmm. happen to be women um, because you, there aren't many female characters who are kind of unashamedly, unequivocally, and unabashedly. Uh, excited about what they want to do and know what they want to do and where they want to go. Um, and then once uh, once I heard Marissa's audition for the character, I, I was just absolutely sold. Like I I, uh, I knew that I'd found the the right voice for the character, and and it was just kind of it was an easy decision to make. Marissa, how did and, you... and I have to also to Marissa's credit, uh, when Ben put it out on various social media platforms that he was coming up with this idea and he wanted to get friends involved and things like that. Uh, I believe you said, like, anyone's open to audition for anything. Guy, girl, don't let that color it. We want to just sort of relaunch it, get a new flavor for it. And to her credit, you know, she had the voice that fit perfectly with that character. You know, like, you know, gender blind, color blind, everything blind casting. And I think that worked out perfectly for us. I I very deliberately wanted to cast the audio's. Uh, gender blind, uh, especially for the characters in that first story, because that first story kind of sets everything in motion. Even though Meanie and Llewellyn are the only characters who appear throughout the story, who, who are going to be appearing mm-hmm. in each episode, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't saying, okay, this character is a man, this character is a woman, because there's never really, there's very rarely like a, a strict plot reason to keep a character as one gender or another. Like I, I think of, for example, the uh, the. Re- Battlestar Galactica, where they changed uh, Starbuck mm-hmm. to a woman, and it, and you know, there's no reason to keep that character as a male. There's no reason to keep any character in science fiction 
as as a male when you can just as easily uh, make that character female and it won't affect the story marissa how did you uh, how did you find this project and and uh, uh how did you wind up being on board with it <laughs> well actually i found it uh through being friends with ben and um funny enough uh through an event with other voice actors and i looked into the project and it was funny because um Early on, I knew that I was that I might be involved in some aspect. We were sent um, scripts, and oh, one second, sorry. Um, we were sent scripts, and it was very open to interpretation. I also auditioned uh, to play uh, to play Lena Llewellyn. So um, that would have been fun. It was interesting, but yeah, just, <laughs> that would have been fun. Yeah. It, it really was fascinating how he left it, it open and the way that everything fell. And thank you, Chris. And Chris is so much fun. I'm not even going to go off on the topic of how much fun we had recording this with Chris <laughs> for, for hours. But, um, yeah, it was interesting how it actually was let, left open. Uh, ben did a really nice job of, although actually I did go back and check out the comic as well, which, as, as everyone said, brilliantly written. And it was beautiful, the art. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very much open and... I just feel very blessed to have fallen into this fun part. And, oh, yeah, what Ben was saying about um, gender, he had discussed this with me before uh, we knew what the project was going to be, what was going to happen with it at all, just mm-hmm. this idea of these characters and switching the gender. And we are kind of used to seeing uh, the grizzled female, you know, because she has to be um, and cynical and trying to get it get through the world. But the idea of the chirpy... <laughs> positive one that is mm-hmm. kind of a, an interesting spin i thought would be, would be put on that character before i, I knew that i was going to be the one doing it so and and meanie really is kind of uh so positive that he just almost gets on your nerves <laughs> you, know, I, you know it's funny in the comic um, book. and i think ben will understand what i but i said in my heart i'm probably more of a llewellyn and the meanie Part of me is that chirpy voice I have deep down inside, and I resent. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant. That's brilliant. <laughs> so, so Chris, what is your role in all of this? What do you what What part do you play uh, in the production? Well, uh, myself and Dino uh, are lucky enough to have the uh, types of roles where we're everyone else, um, ah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's pretty fantastic because. With that, uh, what I've noticed uh, in going in for a few of the recording sessions, we just go in with the script, and if maybe they have, uh, if it's a character from the comic, we get sort of a visual aid to help us. But other than that, it's basically, you know, me and Dino and Ben just sort of bouncing off of each other. I mean, Dino, I'm sure that's what your experience was as well. It's just you fl- you play around, you flirt with different ideas, you try different things, uh-huh. and eventually oh, yeah. you settle with something. You- you like you know it's really exciting because we're the next week we're someone completely different we get to mm-hmm. try out new different things we get to try out new methods you know uh and seeing dino work especially is just really inspiring to see sort of how far you can take an idea especially why thank you sir of course <laughs> so you're and, all- and it's just so open to anything and everything and ben is just such a down to experimented play around and just have fun finding these voices it's great to have him directing writing producing acting everything involved 
Well, and that's the thing that I've that I've known about Ben. You know, the entire time I've known him is that he's just this mad creative genius. I mean, he does everything. He's, he's, oh, so are uh, we still talking about me, or did we yeah. shift over to a different Ben? No, ben no, Ben Stiller, that's... maybe, or Ben Franklin? <laughs> no, no, no. This is Stein. Oh, okay. Wait, but really, really. Oh. Yeah. I'm, uh, so the Chris uh, Chris Dorman and you, Dino Andrade, you are uh, uh-huh. you're, you basically fill out the rest of the universe. Is. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. That's our job, making the rest of Ben's world real. Oh, that's hysterical, you know. So, so the the idiot guards and the and the uh, um, the evil geniuses they fight and the dinosaurs that charge down the road and all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. everything, every, those two things, and everything in between. Like it's just it's nuts. The types of because when you deal with sort of a show that is involving weird realities. Literally anything that happens in Ben's head can be brought to the script. Which is so terrifying. anything could happen. Mm-hmm. I think Ben yeah. is pretty blessed. I'd, I would consider myself pretty lucky to have Chris and uh, Chris and Dino narrating the voices in my head. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I can't undersell just how, I mean, all three of you guys, uh, Dino, Chris, and Marissa are all insanely talented uh, voice actors. And Marissa as well. I mean, she's not just voicing Meanie. Uh, she's voicing a number of female characters, especially in our, our second episode, mm-hmm. uh, where she's gonna she has conversations between her and another character, and also is voicing the ship's computer in that particular episode. So, uh, just the amount, just I feel incredibly lucky to have such a talented and versatile uh, cast working on this nonsense. Because I, I, I put I'm put I've pretty much resigned myself to the fact that at any point. Any of these people are going to get a phone call uh, and they're going to get whisked away to something bigger and better and I'm going to be left holding the baby. I'm terrified of that. But I just, for the moment, I just, I feel so... Oh, we'd never leave you, Ben. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, You say that that now. And then then you say that now. And then um, uh, Lucasfilm calls you up and says they want you to be the next uh, voice of... Uh, one of the new Jedi on on Star Wars Rebels, and off you go. <laughs> you know, because well, they're going to wave this big paycheck in front of you. You know that it it's a nice thought, but the reality is the reality is is that when it comes to the world of voiceover, uh, I mean, I've been doing this for a very long time. Uh, we're limited in our recording because of stress on our voice to pretty much about four hours a session. So if I were cast uh, in Star Wars Rebels, um, and, you know, things happen all the time. I mean, I was just cast in Star Trek Online, and we're, we're recording that next mm-hmm. week. The, the, the whole point is that I would be able to make time for Ben no matter what. I oh, would make kind. that time. You are far so, too kind. So it's, so it's, like, it's like, yeah, no, let Lucas call. I'm still, <laughs> I'm still <laughs> hanging out with Mr. Patton as well. That's, you know, that's I, awesome. I, I yeah. can make it happen. So how many episodes? You can always make time happen, and especially with Ben, like, there's no question that all of us would try and make time. Like, if all we need is a few hours in a week, that's easy. We can find that time. No sure. problem. You exactly. Know? So, exactly. so Ben, uh, I, I was, I was going to say, as voice actors, we're not, you know, whisked off on location for nine months. Mm-hmm. 
you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you go to you go so, to a room, so, you yeah, do your recording not, for a week, and you're off anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, you go to a well, room, I, you do your recording. I just think that Ben, you know, he he could stave off any uh, concerns over abandonment until we have a fight over salary or something. So. Oh yeah, and that's. <laughs> so you have a good one. <laughs> Uh, I'm not having this argument with you again, Marissa. Okay, so you were asking a question. I'm kidding. That was a bit. I was, we have never thought about money. We've never thought about money. And if we had, I won. I won. There's right. so many ways to buy a penny. <laughs> so, hey, how many episodes you, you do you have tacos, planned? You're fine. You're set. Well, Dina gets tacos. I am anyway. How many episodes <laughs> do you have planned for uh, uh, for the first for the first series? Well, uh, we are, uh, as you are aware, we're releasing the show as a free podcast. We are currently mm-hmm. aiming to do uh, at least one episode a month. The goal mm-hmm. is for our first year to do at least 13 episodes, um, which most of which I've actually we've got mapped out and a good portion of them are, are written. And uh, every now and then I'll throw like a, a story tidbit to, you know, Marissa or Chris or Dino so that they can uh, object profusely because it's terrible because I'm a horrible writer. And they're just trying to make me feel good. Uh, that's, I mean, that's that's the plan right now. Is I mean, when when we first started working on this, because I first pulled everyone together. God, was it March? Was it March, April when we first got together and did the first read through the first two episodes? It's definitely spring. Yeah, it, it was, was a while ago. Um, yeah. And uh, the original plan was to try and do two a month. Um, and then I sat down with Sean, Sean Lyle, who uh, is the co-producer and the mm-hmm. uh, sound editor, sound engineer, wonderful guy. Sorry, he, he wasn't able to be with us this afternoon, this evening, this uh, tonight. Uh, but uh, just the amount of work it took, the amount of time and effort and energy and uh, effort and energy and time, all of those things twice, <laughs> um, to do the sound design for episode one, uh, we realized maybe we should... Uh, uh, scale back our ambition just a little bit um and the options were we can scale back the sound design which is i think very very important when you're doing science fiction audio drama Mm -hmm. the sound design has to be top notch so i would rather put out one really really good episode a month Mm -hmm. than two episodes that maybe the writing is good and the voice acting is obviously brilliant but it doesn't necessarily sound right so that's that's uh that's the plan right now is to do one a month and the uh but as you go, uh, the sound design is going to go faster because you will have um, you will have a, a library of of uh, common things. You know the signature sounds like uh, where when uh, the I mean you have the the sound that the flurry makes when you do the the yes. reality jump. That's in the can. You don't have to do that. That's again. done. Yeah, you know things we like that. We actually designed that sound months ago. That sound was one of the first things that Sean and I sat down to do uh, because we wanted. And it's it's the silliest thing as well because the only thing I could hear in my head was that at the end of it, the pop. I wanted it to kind of build up to this this the sound like this engine taking off or like the Enterprise going into warp drive, and then it just ends on this tiny pop. And to me, that's the funniest thing on in, in the universe. Uh, I, I imagine there are people out there who disagree with me, but I I, I love the way that the, sh- the ship sounds and uh, well, and it's it's so it's so important, especially in sci-fi. Uh, any you know Doctor Who fan will tell you that that sound that the TARDIS makes when it takes oh, yes. off is something that every time you hear it, it's some part of your childhood, some part of you just sort mm-hmm. of awakens and snaps focus. You know, it's it's especially yep. in sci-fi and in like comic book movies and things like that, like the sound that Iron Man's repulsor rays make that, mm-hmm. that, or the, mm-hmm. the sound of a lightsaber going off. It's, it's yeah. so crucial towards, especially in a medium where you're not seeing it 
to have these sort of familiar, sort of heartwarming, touching yep. things that draw you back into that world. Yeah, for me, it's it's the transporters on the Enterprise. Exactly. That original oh, transporter yes, sound. Yes. Yeah, that is that is iconic, and the the sound of the bridge. You know, I could just yeah. listen to oh, that yes. on the loop for hours. Well, there's, oh, there's oh, well, I have and dials. Yeah, I, I have the Blu-ray sets of the original series, and I show uh, an episode once a week to my son. And while I'm making breakfast, because we 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 watch it with breakfast, while I'm making breakfast, the menu is on, and it's just that bridge sound in the living room, and I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah, it's my childhood all over again. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it's it's um, you know, uh, Krypton Radio is working on its own production called Halfway Home: Adventures in the Asteroid Belt, and uh, wow. s- sound design is is one of the crucial things. And it's it's like um, uh, you have to do a lot of world building for any science fiction show, and um, uh, and everything in that world has to have its own, you know, has have to has its have. Has to have its own presence and its own sound. Of course, Ben. How much? Uh, uh, how much do you find yourself stumbling over world building when you're trying to get the plot done? You know, and and then realizing, oh my god, I have to go back and fill out all this this stuff in the back. And uh, well, do you find yourself doing that a lot? Uh, well, it's, it, I mean, that's one of those very interesting things because uh, we have the same problem that Doctor Who has. Uh, and to a certain extent that Sliders had, where each episode is set in a brand new universe. Mm-hmm. So we've got to establish that world uh, very, very quickly and super quickly because we're aiming for 30-minute episodes as well. So we don't have, you know, the hour that Doctor Who has or the hour that Sliders had to kind of say, this is what this version of this world is like and these are what these people are like and who they are. Mm-hmm. So like, a, lot of the, a lot of the first episode um, is kind of, the first episode is mostly about establishing the scenario and laying some of the rules. Like, if they're traveling the parallel universes, like, what I'm, anyone who knows me knows that I'm obsessed with the idea of parallel universes. And I always used to watch sliders and think, wait, if, if, if every action that we take splinters off into a, a bit, million, billion, infinite number of parallel universes, wouldn't the act of traveling to a parallel universe create a million, billion, infinite parallel universes where they arrived somewhere else? So, I, because I'm the kind of guy who thinks about that because I'm either a genius or a madman or some weird combination of the both, of the two. I also, I can't speak English. I don't know if you've not picked up on that yet. <laughs> um, because, because that is the kind of thing I think of, I did spend some time in that first episode kind of saying, well, here's why that doesn't happen. And here's why, uh, the, the lead service as an organization that travels to parallel universes kind of policing reality. This is how they're able to operate without basically creating an infinite number of variations of their own organization. Uh, and, uh, it's one of, it's one of those things where, uh, it's, uh, we did it in the comic as well. And because I wrote the comic when I was 20, I was younger, I was inexperienced. Uh, I, I made mistakes. I did, I took the easy way out a lot of the time because it was just oh let's just explain it whereas with now with the audios even though the first two stories in the audio plays are adaptations of the first two stories of the comic and everything mm-hmm. else is going to be brand new but even though they're adaptations we've changed some of the fundamental rules of what makes uh jump leads work and i think that improves it improves it as a premise and i think it makes it sturdier and to stand up to scrutiny a little bit more and, and make it seem less like it was you know written by you know some you know sub 21 year old know nothing know it all 
Well, I think yeah, you're for, right. this, for this new audio version, Ben basically leaves it up to, well, I'll just let Chris and Dino explain it. Yeah, that's basically it. You guys, <laughs> yep. I actually exposition, don't write. Exposition. I don't write any dialogue for those guys. I just, I just, on the script, it just says, Chris slash Dino explains plot here. And then they make something up. And then Marissa and I uh, kind of ad lib around that. None of that is true. None of that is true. And uh, I don't want to mislead people into thinking it's like sci fi improv. <laughs> Although that actually could be a really good idea. Maybe I've we should. Sci fi improv, actually. And that it, is either going to be a great idea or a oh. terrible idea in both directions. There's no neutral on that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty, that was a pretty hot burn on the microphone there, Marissa. Ooh. Yeah, that was loud. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway. That's just saying? Yeah, that's, that's better. better. That's much better. Um, uh, the, uh, the exciting thing about it is that uh, you do have an opportunity. I mean, it's 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 um, you have the opportunity to go back and rewrite. You know, start over and yeah. fix all the mistakes. You know, and um, but at the same time, uh, the original work has a freshness and an honesty about it that makes you love it anyway. So um, you know, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't push too hard in, in the uh, in the direction of, oh, I've got to fix that, oh, I've got to fix this. Oh, absolutely you know. not. No, I mean, my, my primary goal with the comic, uh, well, sorry, with the audio plays, is I wanted to just start telling brand new stories mm-hmm. in that world again. Um, but it's also, you know, it's been at this point, like two years, two and a half years since the comic finished, which is, you know, that's an, that's an age, that's an ice age in internet time. It's oh, yes. been oh, six yes. years since the comic was at its popularity, the peak of its popularity. And that's even longer. Um, mm-hmm. so I'm not ignorant of the fact that we're kind of starting again. So rather than saying, oh, Jump Leads is back and we're picking up where we left off and now you can listen to it instead of reading it, um, the idea was kind of, well, let's just do a a reboot, we'll reestablish the premise and then we'll tell new stories. And the advantage of that, I think, is that it means that anyone who finds the audio play can then uh, discover the comics and kind of go, oh, this is kind of cool. And anyone who knew about the comics... Uh, gets brand new jump leads that they can listen to on their drive to work or whatever. I mean, that's that's really uh, the, the the goal with this is to continue telling stories with these. I mean, I I created Meany and Llewellyn when I was in my twenties, but uh, I I I care about them. They're they're very, very in a very real sense. They're both different halves of of who I am. Even if they started life as kind of loose. Uh, 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 homage to Rimmer and Lister from Red Dwarf. Uh, they're very much uh, the two different sides of what make me, me. And I think everyone has their inner optimist and their inner cynic. And they, you know, I think that for everyone, there's always those voices uh, inside our heads who are kind of butting horns and arguing over whether to, you know, be chipper and upbeat and everything's going to be okay and this is what we want and let's go for it. And then the other voice that goes, no, this is a waste of time. Let's just get drunk on a beach somewhere. So that's... Uh, that, that's kind. Of, that's kind of the goal with the with the audios is just to really to tell new stories. So the um, the stories uh, evolve out of the characters, and as you've changed them up some, you know, I mean, it, it makes perfect sense that you're going to be going in new directions with them as well. Um, and this is question is for everybody: how much? Uh, how much input do you have on where the stories go? Do you have story sessions where you brainstorm and do all of this? 
Uh, right. Ben, ben basically keeps us locked in a crate until it's time to record next time. Yeah, then he that's... sort of shovels the script under the door and says, get to work, maggots. And that's basically the creative process. I, I think Chris is being very generous in describing the uh, the wooden cargo containers as crates. They're really, it's really more of a <laughs> a, a box or, or a cage, like a, like a bamboo cage. Um, but that's more, <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I'm... I will occasionally, and Dino in particular, because I mean, Dino, uh, Dino was one of the first friends I made when I moved to the US, and, and he's one of my, I mean, I, not to, not to devalue the friendship I have with Chris and Marissa, because I, I'm not lying when I say that Dino, Chris, and Marissa are my favorite people on, on the planet. But, oh, shucks. but Dino's very much like a brother to me, so I will occasionally, I'll throw an idea at him and ask for feedback. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've spoken to, I, Marissa is someone who I speak to in particular about Meanie because I'm always, I'm always worried about how that dynamic between Llewellyn and Meanie shifts when Meanie is now a woman. Uh, does it mm-hmm. make Llewellyn come across as sexist? Um, can, how do you explain that? How do you, how do you justify that as just gen, a, a general disregard or, 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 or callous lack of respect when you're now saying that this other character is, is a woman and everything that that, uh, that implies, you know, I mean, women are, uh, are still, still to the, you know, in this day and it's 2015, we should have jetpacks, we should have flying cars and we should have gender equality and, and inexplicably we're still not there. So that's something I'm very aware of. On any of those uh, things. I'm, it's 2015. It's the 21st century. I want my freaking jetpack. I'm, I'm okay just to, you know, I'll wait another 15 years for a jetpack as long as men and women can be viewed equally. You know, that's, yeah, that's really yeah. what I'm aiming for. So I will occasionally when I'm, uh, writing a bit of dialogue or i'm trying to figure out where to take the characters marissa and i have had conversations about does this work does this seem sexist Mm -hmm. and that that sometimes my conversations with marissa or dino uh, and very occasionally chris uh will lead to ideas which may not come to fruition uh during these first 13 episodes but um I'm a very solitary writer, generally speaking. I tend not to just send, you know, drafts of scripts out to people and say, hey, what do you think of this? Usually the first time that these guys get to see what the next story is going to be is when we're sitting down uh, to do a table read, which we, you know, with the first Mm -hmm. first two episodes we did in person because I felt like that was important. Going forward, we generally, you know, do it like this. We do it over Skype. Um, But... uh, that's usually that's usually the point where if I'm going to get input, it's going to be then is is at a table read. I'm assuming we haven't done many of them yet. <laughs> <laughs> Marissa, does uh, does Mini live in your head? <laughs> I mean, is 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 uh, is Mini a, a, a character that that you understand as being a, a distinct living person? You know, when you when you work with the material, or is it absolutely is it... yes. Oh, as as all characters, and that's what I found fascinating, and as Ben um, so brilliantly pointed out about the character, how they're very much two distinct people, but they also represent, you know, two sides of us. You know, some of us show the, the meaning to the world, and we have the Llewellyn in our head, and I'm probably the opposite. But uh, absolutely, it's really, um, I, I mean, it's actually interesting, too, though, to watch as the character um, starts to grow, all of them, um, in this incarnation, do you have uh have you had uh theatrical experience i mean i'm looking at your picture here and you look very photogenic as uh, everybody does except chris who seems to have the uh the chris dorman who seems to have the default skype icon so i can't tell from that but i told him before, I'm sorry. I skype that off <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh 
Yeah, starting well, with you, you, Marissa. I'm a trained actor. Um, I've been acting since I was about eight. And as I always like to joke, it's because I wanted to, not because I had a mom with a dream. But uh, I've done a lot of community theater uh, in addition to training at all sorts of um, acting institutions because as I'm sure Dino, uh, I've heard him um, say much more eloquently than myself, voice acting is acting. Uh, it is. It is indeed. And it's it's the first... Uh, it's the first thing that people don't understand about voice acting. You know, they think it's That's all it's doing. Absolutely it. true. <laughs> that is the. I, I do an awful lot of conventions, and it seems to be the very first thing when whenever somebody asks me, "Well, you know, what advice do you have?" I tell them to take acting lessons, and a lot of times, folks are just completely surprised by that. Uh, or we get folks who. Uh, come up and say, yeah, I do a lot of voices. So I had to do what you do. And it's like, uh, okay, can you act with those voices? Because we don't do voices. We create characters. And in order to create characters, you have to be a trained actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this case, it's even more critical because we're not judged on a level of celebrity. I mean, mm-hmm. if if uh, if Steven Spielberg is going to be casting his latest epic, you know, who's going to get the lead? Is it going to be Tom Cruise or Tom, or, uh, Tom Hanks or any one of the other Toms? Or is it going to be me? Well, I'm not even going to get to read for it. You know, on the other hand, on camera, mm-hmm. if we're talking about a cornflakes commercial, who's going to get it? One of the Toms or me? Well, guess what? One of the Toms isn't going to go for an on-camera cornflakes commercial. But when it comes to voiceover, voiceover's equivalent of Tom Hanks and I are going to be going head-to-head for the same cornflakes commercial, Nintendo commercial, Star Wars TV show, or what mm-hmm. have you, because it's all about our skills as an actor when it comes to that level. And I'm not, of course, talking about the features where, oh, it's Shrek, so we make mm-hmm. sure it's a celebrity in every single role. Um, but for the working class voice actor, it's all about the best doing the best job that they can, not about your celebrity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, and in general, in general, with acting or voice acting, you just basically want to have as many tools in your toolbox as possible. Uh, improv helps. Acting lessons, of course, help. Voiceover lessons help. But no matter what it all boils down to is just how much can you show them that you're the guy or girl for that job. If you have more mm-hmm. tools like acting lessons, uh, improv, things like that, it's just one more thing to sort of show off and show you're the right person. Yep. Yep. Although it has, it, it has been interesting to see how it's evolved, you know, how, um, because I, I actually um, specifically always had an interest in voiceover and acting, and that was always huh. my goal. That's why I studied all of these things. And um, back then, you know, not everybody associated with, it, with um, acting, and now there have been all these beautiful documentaries and um, television mm-hmm. shows and people available to teach. Uh, now, you know, people are developing a knowledge and respect of it. Oh, and you see, um, absolutely. You, you see people like Sarah Michelle Geller. I was just, uh, I was just online, and uh, they. St- speaking of Star Wars Rebels again, uh, she plays um, the seventh sister uh, on Star Wars Rebels, and she is uh, an Inquisitor, uh, and she's really excited about the role and is doing a wonderful job. And they show clips of her, and it's you know, it's uh, things like this. 
illuminate, I think, the process of uh, creating um, animated works and radio and this kind of thing for people mm -hmm. who don't understand how the process works. And uh, it's – I think attitudes are starting to change about, you know, oh, oh, you're a voice actor. You, you make – you do imitations, you know. I mean uh, Frank Gorshwin, he was great. You know, but and Kevin mm -hmm. Space Kevin Spacey is pretty awesome, but it's it, they don't understand that it's it's uh, recreating a performance like that is really a consummate piece of work. It, it's it's uh, it's not easy to do, especially if it all has to come from inside you, and uh, you have the only person you're trying to please is the microphone. You know, there's there's no one to perform to. You're in a room. Often with your well, back to the window. Yeah, yeah. It's, it is, of any discipline of acting, the one in which uh, you use your imagination the most. Because we have nothing to inform our performance other than mm -hmm. what is on the printed page. We don't wear costumes. We don't wear makeup. We don't carry props. We don't work on sets. If you were to look at any one of the major three disciplines, uh, three major schools of internalized American acting that came out of the teaching of Konstantin Stanislavski, whether you're looking at the schools of, of Sanford Meisner or Stella, uh, Stella Adler or Lee Strasberg, and you ask the teachers of any one of those, what's the most important element to all great acting? The teachers in all three of those will tell you the same thing. It's listening because acting is not a ping pong match. It's not your line, my line, your line, my line. And yet, Here's this one thing that everyone agrees on that we voice actors are often denied because we often record by ourselves. You know? oh, so even that terrible. act, and, and I've that. had people say, no, no, that's not true. You're still listening. You're just hearing the voice in your head, which while I agree with 100% proves my point. You have to have one hell of an imagination to do what we do uh, because it, it, it is all entirely in our heads. I I had not thought about that aspect of it before, but you're right. I mean, it's it's as an illustrator, I find that I do my best work when I'm looking at some kind of a reference. Uh, when I'm trying to draw something entirely uh, entirely out of my imagination, it is a lot lot tougher because I don't have any of those milestones. I don't have any of those you know, those familiar boundaries in front of me that I can use as a guide. You have to have that all in your head as you go. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's, yeah. yeah. It's yeah, one so of the things that I've, one of, I mean, one of the things that I've learned uh, recording with Chris and Dino and Marissa and sitting there with, with Sean, again, Sean Lyle, who uh, is our, our sound guy, mm -hmm. who has won awards for doing radio drama. I mean, this is, this is a guy who knows what he's doing. This is not his first rodeo. And it's none of these guys' first rodeo. But it's very much my first rodeo. I mean, I, 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 I wrote this and I, 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 Sean and I uh, pulled it together. And, 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 and these wonderful human beings, these inexplicably talented people uh, are all involved, uh, which I love. I absolutely love that. But I'm, I've learned so much uh, from working with Dino, with Chris, with Marissa, I've learned a lot. Um, which you know, if if this if I'm going to be recording voiceover, which I am for this, you know, because I'm voicing one of the characters mm -hmm. as well, uh, I can't think of a better group of people to learn from. It's why uh, thank you, sir. It's pretty magical when your team comes together and and they start to do things that you hadn't thought of that makes what you're doing so much better. I mean, it's it's um 
you know, when you, when you get together and somebody does something magical and you go to, you say to yourself, yes, I never thought of that. And it's, and it comes out, uh, it comes out to be greater than the sum of its parts. And I think, although uh, I do feel as if we've described ourselves as functionally insane. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's <laughs> any, any, any it kind of, it helps. Any kind of creative yeah. venture is going to be like that, though. I mean, it's it's uh, uh, we are we are the dreamers of dreams. We are the mm. we are the ones that create the initial spark that gets everybody else dreaming and all walking in the same direction together, and that I think is a huge part of the magic. It's, well, it's, it hopefully is. if we've done our job right, we've inspired someone else to go and do what we do and create art and and play pretend for a living. Oh, absolutely. That's the best when, you, when you've inspired someone to go do something. Even if it's because they say, you guys are awesome and I want to do what you do, or you guys suck and I'm going to go show you how I can do it better. Either way, <laughs> we've inspired somebody to do yeah. something, you know. Well, yeah, like Ben, like Ben said earlier, like you know, this this radio play was inspired by things like Red Dwarf, by things like Hitchhiker's mm-hmm. Guide, and I feel like I don't want to put words in your mouth, Ben, but like it, so much sci-fi, just all it does, especially with sci-fi and fantasy, is spawn more sci-fi and fantasy. Yeah. So if this mm-hmm. radio play does anything, we'd love for it to inspire more people the way that those previous projects like uh you know star trek star wars inspired you know ben and creative types like it you know yeah i mean that's i mean for me i mean the jump leads as a premise when we first started as a webcomic was inspired by doctor who red dwarf hitchhiker's guide and when it comes to adapting it for when it came to you know the time to say let's do it as a as an audio play series and release it as a free podcast i mean my influence is there um in terms of recording well you know i i have the original scripts for the hitchhiker's guide radio series um there's some great audio drama and audio comedy other like welcome to night vale um Mm -hmm. was one of the one of the big influences uh not on style or tone or anything but on the decision to do this and release it as a free podcast there's another there's a really really good british science fiction radio sitcom uh called a brief history of time travel Mm. Which was kickstarted uh, by a friend of mine, actually, uh, Seb Patrick, uh, and his writing partner James Hunt, and it's six episodes. Robert Llewellyn from Red Dwarf actually uh, voices uh, a character in that series as well. Um, that whole thing's available to listen online for free. And like when I saw him, uh, and uh, saw that they'd not only kickstarted it, but that they'd finished it. They they produced six episodes that all kind of lead into each other and that are also bitingly funny that was kind of for me really the moment when i thought you know what yeah we we could absolutely do this and that's what happens you know there are people who read the jump leads as a webcomic and sent me an email saying i really like what you're doing i'm i'm, I'm gonna do this too and that's fantastic i mean one thing i'd what really like to feeling. inspire people to do is to maybe support us on patreon so that you know we can mm-hmm. afford to you know we're not paying for the tacos for dino out of pocket that would be nice but what is, long, what is- like for, me, for the listeners, what's... what is your Patreon address? <laughs> Patreon.com uh, slash what? Uh, Patreon.com slash jump leads. J U M P L E A D S. With no dash. Um, yes, no dash in the, okay. in the Patreon. There's a dash in our URL for, a URL for our website. But, uh, but anyway, I mean, f- I, my goal uh, with jump leads has always been to tell interesting science fiction stories that are also funny. Um, and I feel very privileged to, at any point from the comic to the audios to whatever comes next, uh, to have 
wonderful, talented friends who say, you know what, that sounds good, I'm in. Well, and um, along the same lines of inspiration, um, talking to you, um, and, you know, we're friends on Facebook. Of course. Uh, and um, uh, talking to you about uh, an idle aspiration you have uh, to be a cast as Doctor Who. Yeah, oh, absolutely. If, if and, I had my druthers, and I do not have my druthers because I don't know what they are, um, I, I, would, I would love to be... My, one of my lifelong goals as a writer has always been, I want to write for Red Dwarf, I want to write for Doctor Who, and I would love to write for an old British television show that doesn't exist anymore called Randall and Hopkirk Deceased, which doesn't exist, might get rebooted at some point in the future again, never going to happen. But I've also, also as, a, as an actor, I want to be in Doctor Who. And if you're going to be in Doctor Who, who else would you want to be but the Doctor? Like that's, For me, that's a dream role. I would love... Uh, even just the opportunity, even like like a non-canon big finish audio to well, play the doctor, and, um, never going to happen. But oh, you know, oh, yeah, it. yeah. You you say that now, you know. But uh, in, by way of inspiration, um, uh, after some leads take yeah. off, and the doctor the doctor turns into a podcaster, a producer, <laughs> radio no, 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 no. You can play him. No, you don't. You don't know where I'm going with this. See, you have in. Uh, uh, your excitement about it uh, and your appropriateness for the role, I think, uh, has uh, – we have been discussing the whole thing uh, over here at Krypton Radio and we're going to build a TARDIS. Yes. So, I remember you saying yes, you were looking – you were going to look into going to, uh, building a TARDIS of your own. Yeah. We, we had been thinking about it anyway because we want to do it for trade shows, you know, because yeah. not that – there are not that many uh, TARDISes. TARDI? TARDIS. I think TARDIS is the plural. <laughs> is TARDIS plural by itself? Is TARDIS its own plural? I think it's TARDISes. TARDISes. Uh, there are not yeah. that many... A murder of TARDIS. A murder of TARDIS. <laughs> there are not that many uh, TARDISes in Southern California. I think uh, um, there may be four. Uh, I know of at least two. Yeah, I know. I know of two of them. Yeah. Uh, uh, one of them sits at Clockwork Couture, which is about to close, mm-hmm. and Aww. yeah, they're they're going bye bye, and uh, and but it's not show worthy because it can't be moved because it's uh, you know it's assembled out of bits and bobs and and uh, it's not strong enough to be put on the back of a truck, and it, yeah. nor does it disassemble; it's all stapled together, uh, and then um, uh, somebody from Losfis. Uh, the Los Angeles Science Fantasy Society built a case for one that is collectively owned by a group of people that are associated with that club. And um, and then there's this one fellow that makes TARDIS uh, playhouses for cats, and he's got a, a full-sized one that looks... <laughs> That's fantastic. Rather, rather I mean, simplistic. You, know, you may want to put in a cool... Yeah, it's, I, look, I, I would love one of those. Yeah, it looks rather <laughs> simplistic. He charges about six hundred bucks for one, you know, but uh, it looks rather simplistic and it's not screen worthy. And and then that's it. And uh, if we had one, we could do uh, we could do shows with it and uh, create a commotion wherever we want. And you know, we're not selling Doctor Who anything. It's just uh, in the parlance of. Um, uh, location-based entertainment, we would call that a weenie. 
which is a, an attractive thing that stands up above the crowd that every, everyone can point to and say, oh, look, what's that interesting thing over there? And then they come across. Yeah. If, you know, you, if you build it, they will come. Was they the will. tagline for Tardis of Dreams. You know, yes. that, that famous movie Tardis of Dreams. Tardis of Dreams. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it. Yeah, I thought and, Kevin yeah, Costner a, was a weird choice for the Doctor in that, but uh, so yeah. so uh, I figured the thing can come apart into about a dozen pieces, and uh, ideally uh, we can throw it in the back of a minivan. Yeah, you know, and yeah, and uh, move uh, it there's one thing that this group knows: it's that a couple of months ago I had bandied about the idea of maybe making a Doctor Who fan film at some point, mm-hmm. and the number of people who came forward and said, "Yeah, let's make it happen." Uh, was was just absolutely phenomenal, and that was something that I saw. That, that. Uh, I, I was on yeah. Facebook. I was part of that crowd, and uh, Ben posted this little, you know, idle thought, and then all of a the sudden, there were fifty people signed up. You know, within yeah. a matter of four hours, it was it was astonishing to watch. It was phenomenal. Yeah. I so really I, think, about I think I think we I'd should like, totally do it. do it. I think we should totally do it. Yeah. Why not? Well, um, we have just about come to the end of our hour. Uh, ben Padden, Aww. Marissa Meisel, uh, uh, Chris Dorman, and Dino Andrade. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Event Horizon. The show is Jump Leads. That's yes. jump-leads.com. You can see the original web series, five-issue uh, webcomic series, and you can enjoy the audio episodes as they are produced. They are all available online for free. And there is a Patreon campaign, which is patreon.com slash jump leads with no dash. And I encourage you to contribute to their project. Thank you for joining us on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank, Thank you for you. having us. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this evening for episode 116 of Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for October 3rd, 2015. Our guests have been the cast of the British science fiction comedy radio serial Jump Leads with creator Ben Padden. To find out more about Jump Leads, visit jump-leads.com. Stay tuned, because immediately after this program is a special presentation of the pilot episode of the Jump Leads radio serial. I am your host, Gene Turnbow. This episode will air again on October 4th, 2015 at 4 p.m. Pacific, with additional times throughout the coming week. The pilot episode will air along with it. See our website for showtimes in your area. Once all the showtimes have passed, you will find this episode and others as downloads on kryptonradio.com and on iTunes and Stitcher as podcasts. If you are an author or other creator and would like to be on the show, please contact our production manager, Cat Carter, at catcarter at kryptonradio.com. If you would like to become a patron of the Geeky Arts, you can do so for as little as $1 a month. Visit patreon.com slash Krypton Radio to join the Krypton Radio family of patrons. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The science officer was played by Mark Schirmeister. The engineer was Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was Christine Cherry. And the captain was voiced by legendary science fiction writer Larry Niven. This program and its contents, except where provided by others, are copyright 2015 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. The pilot episode of Jump Leads is entitled Training Day, and it begins right now here on Krypton Radio. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi.